Hey, Parkview. Hope your summer's going well. Uh, I, I wanted to introduce Rick Russo to you. Some of you were here last time he spoke. Rick is one of my closest personal friends in ministry. He preaches at the LifeBridge Church in uh, Longmont, Colorado, and has for 20 years. Uh, we, I probably spend, Denise and I spend probably more time with Rick and Diane than anybody else in, in ministry. Uh, we're with them a lot, and they are really some of our best friends. Um, we, we just we love them very much. They're also uh, Chelsea, Chaz and Chelsea, Pastor Chaz, uh, Chelsea's parents. So I'm like, hey, you, you want to come up and see your pregnant daughter? You know, because it's, uh, it's time for you to be thinking about the fact that you know, your grandkid is going to be with me, and um, you know, you're going to have to come and visit more often. So um, that's what they're doing this weekend. Uh, phenomenal speaker, author, uh, really, really good friend. Please welcome Rick Russo. It's uh, really good to uh, be here, and uh, Tim is right. We're, we're just glad to uh, get a chance to check in with Chelsea and Chaz, and you know, that baby bump is getting bigger, and that's kind of fun to watch. I am just a little nervous, though, uh, about Tim uh, having anything to do uh, around my granddaughter. So just uh, if you'll pray for me on that one, that'd be awesome. Um, I was in London this last week, and uh, one of the things I appreciate about that city, it's a phenomenal city. If, you, if you've been there, uh, what, a, what a tremendous place. Uh, but I love their transportation system. Uh, the trains run for the most part on time. The tube is fairly efficient once you figure out uh, where you're going. And the bus service is phenomenal. But about 15 years ago, the London Transit Authority ran into a huge issue. Uh, their buses were running late, and they were often missing passengers. They would just blow right by uh, some bus stops. And so uh, people were complaining. There was a big uproar, and uh, they tried to fix the problem. And then the London Transit Authority took out an ad in the London Times, and they started with an apology. We're sorry uh, for the inconvenience we've caused our bus passengers. Uh, that is not our intent. They should have stopped right there with a period, but they went on to say, however... It's impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we're always stopping to pick up passengers. <laughs> Think about that. Sometimes, sometimes we lose sight of what it is we ought to be about, isn't it? And I know that happens to me as a believer, as a follower. If you're a Christian, and I won't assume that we all are, but if you're a Christian, there are really three things that are essential if I'm going to be growing in my faith. One is believe. What is it? I believe. And Am I grounded in that? Am I growing in that somehow? Is it? Am I figuring out what it is I believe? Am, am I spending some time helping myself deepen my belief? Do I belong? Am I connected to some other Christians? Because here's a, here's a fascinating thing. We do not grow. Every survey shows we don't grow when we try to do our faith on our own. That growth comes uh, when we are connected. So that's in a small group or in a fellowship. One of the reasons we gather like this is to encourage us in our growth. And then the third part uh, that's essential for us is to bless. To find ways where we're uh, serving, where we're using what we have to get engaged, to plug, to, to serve others, whether that's inside the church or somewhere outside the church where God is being honored and people are being served. What is it that you are doing that is blessing? Now, two out of three doesn't work for us. For example, if I believe and I belong, uh, but I don't bless, I'm like one of those monastic cultures somewhere, those communities that pull apart somehow, that say, we're going to do this uh, with some other believers, but we are going to somehow disconnect from the world around us. And the Bible never invites us to do that. 
Now, I know there are times of crazy stuff going on that we say, we just want to respite, we want to pull back. But the truth is, if I only believe and I belong, but I'm not serving, if I'm not blessing, then I'm probably not growing. Or if somehow, maybe I am blessing and belonging, but I'm not believing, I'm like a service organization. Uh, maybe, um, maybe the Rotary Club or Meals on Wheels, those are good things, those are beneficial things, but they really don't have anything to do with me being a follower of Christ. It's a good service thing for me to do. Or what if, I, uh, what if it is that I believe, but I don't belong, and I bless? In other words, I have faith in God, and I'm finding ways to help others, but I don't really need to connect with others. And again, every survey shows that when we disengage, we're likely not going to grow in our faith. So believe, belong, bless are big deal things for us. And what am I doing uh, to help myself in those things? Because they help me keep track on what is it that God wants me to be doing. What is it He wants me to be engaged in? I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying a bit of in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. I love these two verses. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Or some translations, the days are short. Be very careful, Paul says, how you live. In other words, pay attention. Watch. Watch what you're engaging. Watch what you're connecting with. Watch uh, how your life is going. And be wise. And make the most of every opportunity. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gets asked a question. And the question is this. It's essentially this. When are you coming back? When's this whole thing going to wrap up? Now, I don't know how it works here at Parkview, but I can tell you what happens at LifeBridge. Anytime there is some major disaster in the world or there is some huge uprising of some sort, my inbox gets flooded with all the people saying, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back. I think it's going to be this Wednesday or this Thursday. I mean, it must be, we must be living in the end times. And you know what? We are living in times that are ending. <laughs> but even Jesus said, nobody's going to know when that's going to happen. Nobody's going to know the hour. We do know that he's coming back. We do know that there'll be a day when God calls uh, judgment. When we are, as believers, invited uh, to connect with him. And in response to that question, he tells three stories. And they're found starting in Matthew 24, and they flow into Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn over to Matthew 25, because we're going to look at one of those stories uh, today. The first story is about bridesmaids and the groom, and it is a story of expectation. In other words, are you paying attention? Are you looking? Are you anticipating? Uh, are you waiting in anticipation? Are you expecting? The second story, the one we're going to look at, has to do with what are you doing while you're waiting? What is it that you are engaged in? How is it that you are using what you have been given? And the third story has to do with sheep and goats. And trust me, in that story, you want to land on the sheep side of the story if you can. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Let me start down there. Here's what Jesus says. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five talents more. Those uh, talents, uh, those talents were um, a treasure uh, they held. It would have been a unit of gold or silver. It would have represented a lot of money in the day. 
And so also the one with the two talents went and gained two more, and the one who received the one went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money, and after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received the five uh, said, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with the two came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two. See, I've gained two more. And word for word, he gets the same blessing. Well done, good and faithful. Down in verse 24, and then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. And then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And take that one talent and give it to the one who has the ten. For he who has been entrusted with a lot will have a lot. And then throw this servant out. And i got to be telling you, I, this is one of those stories in the Bible that I don't really like. In fact, I like to tell stories. And if I were Jesus, I would have actually told this story differently. In fact, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to him about this story. Because... Because there's some things in this story that he could have done that it would have made a little better for us. For example, how come one guy got five, one guy got two, and one guy got one? I mean, after all, what, why shouldn't we start them all out on the same ground? They all got like 2.3 something. <laughs> why give one five, one two, one one? Because after all, we are all created equal, aren't we? But we know that's not true. We start in different places. We have different opportunities. Some of, us, some of us have natural gifts and abilities. Others of us have learned gifts and abilities. Some of us feel like five-talent people. And most of us, like me, feel like a one-talent person. I, I wish Jesus would have told that story. And here's another thing. If I would have had to tell it like he told it, here's what I would have done. Guess who would have been the hero in the story? Not the dude who started with a lot. <laughs> the guy who got the one. He would have been the underdog in the story. That guy with the five would have gone out and done some kind of Ponzi scheme deal and ended up in jail and on the newspaper. And, and, but that one talent guy would have scraped and clawed and made his way up and, and done this big deal thing. Here's another thing I don't like about this story, actually. I think he could have done a better job with. The master gives these guys... This money. Now the Bible calls them trusted servants. So they were in his care. They, they were part of the family, so to speak. This wasn't some random strangers out on the street. He gives them this talent. And then, and then Jesus says it this way. And the master then got in his car and left. And didn't give many instructions. Didn't say to them, now here's what I want you to do with this. To the you, the five, I'd like, you to, I'd like you to arbitrage that money. And the one with the two, I think you ought to invest in some co- commodities if you can. And, and the guy with the one, I think you ought to just go out and figure out how to start some small businesses and see if they'll be fruitful. He doesn't, do, he doesn't give many instructions. He doesn't say, here's how I want you to do it. Here's, and here's another part of the story that I don't like, actually. Well, since we're talking about parts I don't like. The master doesn't say when he's coming back. He just shows up one day. That's not fair. No text, no email, no call saying, hey, 30 days, I'll be back. And when we get back, 
Why don't we get together and see what you've done with what I've given? There is none of that in this story. And that's, unfortunately, how this faith thing is for me. God's given us something. He's invited us to be a part of His story. I'm so grateful for the grace that changes our lives, the grace that invites us in, the grace that saves us, the grace that makes me one of the trusted servants. This isn't a story about salvation. This is a story about what happens after. This is a story about what do I do now as a follower. This is a story about God. You've invited me to write a part of the story. What am I doing with that? And I'm not given a lot of clarity around this. I'm not sent, you know, a postcard saying, and here's exactly what I think you ought to do, and here's what I think you're gifted at, and here's where I think you ought to plug in, and here's where you ought to be serving, and here's how you ought to be engaged. I don't get that. And I look around at others, and I I think they're more capable than I am. They they have more ability. They have more opportunity. They, They have more background and experience Faith, I didn't have that. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have that connection. And then there's going to be a day when I take my last breath or the master shows up and I have to give an account for what I did. And I don't like that part either. I mean, we all just all kind of ought to go with it. Whatever happens, happens. And this one talent guy fails. And very quickly, there's three reasons in here why he did. Here's the first. Verse 18, from his perspective, safety first was his best option. I knew you'd be a hard man. I took what you had. I went to my backyard. I I, I dug a hole. I buried it in the ground. I pad the dirt down on it. And now, here it is. You can have it back. Look, I didn't blow it. I didn't squander it. I didn't screw up with this. It's intact. Here it's yours. And Jesus calls him a failure. He didn't fail because he lost it. He failed because he didn't use it. And so he took the choice that that I'm going to take the careful route. And here's what I know about a whole bunch of us. If I were to ask you, and I won't do it, I don't want to be that unfair. How many of you uh, want your life to make a difference? I would bet every time I've ever done this in any kind of audience, hands go up everywhere. We all want that. And how many of you feel like you are making a difference? And the truth is, when we're honest, most of us have to draw our hands back down. We want to do something. But so often we settle for less. I love what Ted Engstrom said. He said... I've never met a person who planned on having a mediocre life, but I've met a lot of mediocre people. And you know why that happens, I think? It's because we draw this little circle of comfort around us where the world is safe for us. And and, and we don't want to move out of our comfort zone. We don't want to move and make some change in, in our life. We're not looking for that engagement. We're not looking for that. We'd like to do something, but... Or sometimes it happens this way. You know, someday I'm going to. 
maybe when I get out of school or maybe when our kids are, are, are grown or more settled or maybe when we are a little more financially secure or somehow when we retire, someday I'm going to, someday I'm going to find a way where I really do something. I'm going to engage, I'm going to serve, I'm going to find a way for my life to, to be engaged in the story that God's invited me. I'm going to do that someday. And here's a truth for every one of us in the room. Someday, someday, someday your some days are going to be over. There'll be a day you draw your last breath, and here's what's going to happen on that day. Someone's going to sit down and plan a service for you, a funeral service or a memorial service, and, and then somebody like me is going to say some things about you, and during the service, we're going to say nice things. We get paid to do that. Sometimes it's creative, but we find things to say. And the service is going to wrap up, and then we're going to go across the hall somewhere or to your home or to some park, and, and we're going to have a little reception so that we can gather around a family. And, and, and then at, while people are eating potato salad, they're going to talk about you, really talk about you. And what will they say mattered to you? What will they say the things you did that somehow touched them or served in some way? This guy was too cautious. Safety first was his best option. There are times to be careful. There are times, there are times for us to, to be safe. But until you and I are free to fail, we are never free to succeed. Let's suppose I didn't know if I could walk. And I stood up here and I talked to you about walking. I listened to great music about walking. I, I had a small group that encouraged me in my way. I had posters all over my office about why walking mattered. But I never took a step. I would never know if I could walk. But as soon as I take a step, there is a chance I will fail. But it is only until I am free to fail that I have any freedom to succeed. And some of us are so afraid that that getting involved, getting engaged, serving somewhere, helping out, whether that's with kids or seniors or, or uh, serving behind the scenes or somewhere up front, there, there are hundreds and thousands of ways for us to serve, and, and we don't because we're afraid that somehow this isn't going to work for us. Henry Banks said, if at first you do succeed, try to hide your astonishment. You know, not everything goes the way we want it to go when we start, but, but safety first was this guy's first option. And he did nothing with what he had. If God's putting something on your heart, if you, you're thinking, man, I need to get engaged, I need to serve, I need to use what you've given to me, there are no guarantees, there are some risks, but why haven't you started? Here's the second reason he failed, verse 26. From his perspective, easier was better. The master called him lazy. And he also coupled the word wicked next to it. There was this no effort put into it, no energy put in. For him, easier was better. It was easier for him to go out and dig a hole in his backyard. Now, I have no idea what happened after that. We don't know how long it was before the master showed up. So I don't know if he hired like a, a pit bull dog, you know, got him trained, put it on a chain around a tree near where that was. Maybe he had some elaborate security system. We have no idea. But what we do know is he dug a hole, put the stuff in the ground, and then he went on. Maybe went in his house, got in his easy chair, watched TV. Who knows what he did, but somehow... He took the easy way. And yet most of the good stuff in our life takes effort, doesn't it? My doctor several years ago encouraged me to start exercising more. And, and uh, uh, I don't really like doing that. I'm not like an... I don't really want to. 
You know, some of you who run, are any of you like joggers, runners, you know, yeah, you know, you're a perky out there, you know. I've been four years now, and I still hate it. I still hate it. And, 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 and don't come out and say to me, oh, but wait, there's going to be a day when you get that endorphin thing's going to kick in. It's gonna, ain't going to happen. And, uh, it just hasn't. It's not, I, my idea of exercise is fill a tub with hot water, pull the drain, and fight the current. <laughs> you know, that, that's my idea. I love what Lou Holtz said. He, he was asked one time, how come you don't exercise? He said, because I want to be sick when I die. I'm with him on that. I, I, But the truth is, the stuff that's good for me takes some effort. Now, I'm not talking about that frenetic kind of stuff. Uh, Tim and I are friends. He said that in the video. And our wives, uh, uh, we do stuff together. And, uh, and I love being with Tim, but uh, like, he wears me out just watching him. He's like, we, we, we were on a vacation together this last January. We, did, we rented bikes. There were six of us. We rented bikes. We rode down the coast. Uh, where we were, and there was this great view spot, so we decided to stop and uh, go down uh, toward the shore and take some pictures. And uh, which bike was Tim's? Can you see this? Which, which, which one was he riding? You know, he jumps off. I'm not talking about that frenetic kind of thing. I'm talking about you and I engaging in a way that takes some effort. Emil Zola The French philosopher and artist said this, The artist is nothing without the gift, but the gift is nothing without the work. Here's what I know. That God has gifted you with something. Some passion, some ability, some experience, good, bad, or ugly, that can be used to be a blessing, to serve somebody. And whether you serve in one of the formal things here at Parkview, or you serve in some community uh, opportunity, or you just find a way to be engaged, as long as God is being honored and people are being served, it is not going to be convenient. It will take some effort on your part. It, It won't fit into your schedule the way you want it to. There are other things that will come up. But easier isn't always better. Here's the third reason he failed. Down in verse 25. From his perspective, fear was his only choice. Look what he said. He said, I was afraid of you. He said to the master, I was afraid of you. Fear keeps you from a lot of things, doesn't it? What is it you're afraid of? Afraid of failing? Afraid of losing? Afraid of succeeding? Afraid of what somebody might think? Afraid of the master? And sometimes we fear the wrong things, don't we? For example, just in the news, you've been reading the shark attacks that have been occurring along the coast and around North Carolina and South Carolina more this year than normal. But on average, there are about 50 shark attacks worldwide, annually, on average. 50 people who will die of of, uh, some shark attack. But 150,000 people die of smoking. And, and, and that adds up a, a day, and that adds up to millions of people. And, and millions die in auto accidents. But if you're at the beach and somebody yells shark, 
We all come screaming out of the water, grab our cigarettes, get in our cars, and drive quickly home, don't we? Sometimes we're afraid of the wrong thing. What is it you're afraid of? What is it that keeps you... What would happen if you knew that what you were doing, what you were going to get engaged in, where you were going to serve, where you were going to be involved, you knew for certain things would go like you wanted them to go? What is it you would do? And you know what the opposite of fear is? It's not courage, really. It's love. The opposite emotion of fear is love. What would happen if you were so loved that you knew that it was okay to get engaged? Because here's another part of the story I just wish Jesus would have peeled back for us. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced if this one talent guy had tried something and failed, he would have received the same blessings as the other. His, his failure was doing nothing. And more than anything else, here's what God continues to say to us. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. My uh, grandfather uh, grew up in that generation where he didn't say those words. Uh, I remember one time I was with my dad. My dad was uh, probably in his maybe late 50s, early 60s at the time. And uh, he said, you know, my father, my grandfather... Had never said, had never said to me, "I love you." And uh, my dad decided he was going to change that, so he told me that all the time. Still does. So I took it on myself to get my grandfather to say that to my dad. I was going to figure out how to get that to happen. So, so I, I get on the phone with my grandfather. Hey, Gramps, how you doing? I'm doing good. And uh, hey, we'd get going the conversation. And then toward the end, hey, Gramp, I love you. And he'd say, "Me too." Could just never get the words out. I was uh, home in Denver when I got a call that my grandfather was in the hospital with some surgery. The surgery hadn't gone well. Uh, didn't look like he was going to live long. And uh, got on the phone with him. Say, hey, Gramp, I'm praying for you. Love you. Me too. The next day, my dad called to say my grandfather had died. And I said, did you get to be with him? And he said, yeah, I was in the room. He said, this morning. And uh, he said, I stood there and I said to him, Dad, you know I love you. And my grandfather said, me too. My dad said, I turned to leave. I was almost to the door. And my grandfather used a nickname for my dad. He called him Sonny. He said, hey, Sonny. And my dad turned, and my grandfather said, I love you. I always have. My dad was nearly 60, and hearing that was such a big deal to him. Why? Because all of us need to know that, don't we? Not all of us have that. Some of you have had really crappy dads and tough stuff. But do you hear the Father of the universe saying to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. No ifs, no ands, no buts. I love you. I love you. And always have. 
and I'm inviting you into my story. And there's a part of the story I'm planning on you writing. There's the way you're going to bless some others because you've been blessed. That you're going to be a grace dispenser of sorts. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. How is it that you're serving? How is it that you're engaged? Where is it that you're making a difference? And if you read on in Matthew chapter 25, you get to this story about the sheep and the goats, and Jesus tells the story this way. He says that, that, that I know you have loved me because I was sick and you visited me. I was, I was in, in prison. You came to see me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was hungry. You fed me. And his followers said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, yo, time out here. When did we ever see you like that? That never happened. And remember what Jesus said? Some of you know that verse. Whatever you have done to one of these, to the least of these, you've done to me. And for a long time, I used to quote that verse. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And I always took that as, what is it we're doing? How are we going? But there is a word in there, and it's in the original language. It's in the Greek. Read it. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one, one of the least of these, you did to me. So who's your one? Who's your one? Some of you are ten talent people. Everything about you is more. How is it that you're engaged? Most of us are one talent. And just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we do nothing. Who's our one? That we're serving somehow. That God's being honored that we're engaged, that we're helping write the story. Larry Walters was a 33-year-old truck driver. Maybe his whole life he dreamed about flying, but he'd never been given the opportunity. And So one day he got in his backyard with his buddy, and he took one of those aluminum lawn chairs, you know, the kind with the green straps that are fraying, and they staked it down into the ground. And, and then Larry got in the chair, and they took a rope, and they tied it around him for a seatbelt so he wouldn't fall out. And and uh, then they took uh, 30 weather balloons filled with helium and they tied them to the chair. And then they gave him a, a CB radio uh, so that he could uh, report what he was seeing while he was flying and, and some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in case he got hungry and a BB gun uh, to shoot the balloons when it was time to come down and a six-pack of beer, which could be how the whole thing got screwed up uh, to start with with him. And they cut the rope loose, and instead of leisurely floating over a Southern California neighborhood, he shot 14,600 feet through the approach corridor into Huntington Beach uh, International Airport. Can you imagine those pilots going, man, what was that? They said Larry started shooting his BB gun as fast as he could. When he landed, the police were there, the FAA were there, and of course there were some news reporters. And the AP Wire story, I picked this off of, one of the reporters said, "Uh, were you afraid? He said, I was frightened out of my mind. And then one reporter said, would you ever do this again? He said, not in a million years. And then one reporter asked the question, why'd you do it? And I loved his answer. Larry said, well, you can't just sit there, can you? (laughs) Do you know all around us are opportunities to be a grace dispenser, to bless. You can't just sit there. Can you? Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your grace. And thank you for the privilege we have of uh, being your people. And Lord, help us. Help us to serve you. Help us to engage. Uh, Lord, you've given every one of us something to do. Help us to find a way that we do it. We pray in Christ's name.